Hi there, and welcome back to Cyburst, a podcast about science, popular culture, and entertainment. We are your hosts, Ella and Isabel, two science communicators and sci-fi nerds, steering this spaceship into the multiverse of science fun. Today's episode, Street Art, Science Communication, and Science Engagement. And, and we're super excited to announce that we're actually releasing this episode as part of Uncharted Territory, which is Canberra's new winter innovation festival, bringing together artists, researchers, entrepreneurs, celebrating creativity, experimentation, and groundbreaking ideas. We're all about it. We are so all about it. So much fun. As always, we are going to start this podcast by jumping into some recommendations. And before that, it is really, really important that we acknowledge that this episode of Cybest is being recorded on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. Indigenous Australians are the first scientists and artists, and we'd love to pay our respects to elders past, present, emerging, and future. an intro i'm so excited for this episode (laughs) me too me too okay culture snap culture snap let's talk about some recommendations okay you first isabel so i want to talk about this gorgeous animation (laughs) i watched called marcel the shell with shoes on oh my goodness have you did you watch it i am no this has been on my to watch list for Mm -hmm. over two years i'm so excited about it I cannot wait to watch it. I didn't realize we were going to be speaking about it today until this morning. <laughs> Surprise! <and laughs> so, um, okay, well, if it's been on your watch list, then you would know where to watch it and you can tell people because I watched this on the plane coming back from the UK. So, <laughs> which I almost it? watched it on the plane coming back from the UK. As well, <laughs> that's funny. But um, I wanted to watch it on a big screen, so I haven't actually worked out how to watch it yet. Sorry, listeners. I was really hoping that was just going to be like a, a little indie cinema that I could go to that was playing like it a few times a day. Yeah, I don't know. I think you can probably rent it on places like Apple or maybe even YouTube or Amazon or somewhere. Um. Anyway, let's let me. We give will a little, find like, a place to watch it. Yeah, let me give a little blurb of what it's about. So it's essentially it's a stop motion animation mixed with live action. And it's just about this little shell guy living in an Airbnb. He's just a little guy. <laughs> who wants to find his family. And it's so sweet. Um, so wholesome. It made me cry, but like in a good way. It's just like a really positive, heartwarming film. And I really recommend it to everybody. It just looks really nice. It is. Yeah. Oh. Five out of five stars? Yeah, totally. No hesitation. No hesitation. No hesitation. So what what are you recommending today, Ella? Okay, I'm recommending uh, this song, Isabel. Uh, it's by Hosier. It's called Eat Your Young. Um, and I'm recommending this song not only because it's a really good song with layers and layers of interpretation, but also because of the way it was received um, online. And this is kind of relevant to the topic we're talking about today. In terms of accessibility. Yeah, so this song, the opening of it was released, it kind of teased, um, and people online went nuts for it. It was all over social media. People saying, wow, this is so good. It's crazy. It's like he's written a sapphic love ballad. And then the actual song drops, and there are so much more to unpack. It's like socio-political. It's like about modern-day consumption. It's about continual Irish political discourse. There's, oh. There are themes of lust. Um, but also so much more about what remains when all else is gone. And it's also so, so sweet and powerful. The Michigan Daily describes it as a divine comedy 
worldly commentary and radio fodder. Wow. All in one, which is like, Ooh. I saw that triplet and I was like, that is an excellent way to describe it. Dang. Okay. So is Hosea the one who sung Take Me to Church? That's the one. Mm, I'm not surprised because, it, yeah, it also very, a lot of themes going on. A lot of themes going on. Uh, my favorite thing about Eat Your Young is that the title and some of the lyrics from it are an allusion to Jonathan Swift's satirical political essay from 1729. Whoa. Yeah. So this is... Um, our guy knows his history. Our guy knows his history, <laughs> um, his Irish history. And this political essay, the satirical one, was a literary attack on the British government's politics towards solving the Irish economic crisis at the time. And this was before the Great Famine, but mm. kind of in the lead up. Mm. Um, and at the time, it was a really shocking piece of satire that uh, suggests that the Irish should sell their children as food as the only way to like alleviate it and feeding into all that political discourse. So Hosea Yikes. takes this thing that's already so full of layers and layers and layers, mm. uses it in the title of his song and in the lyrics and then builds on that of, um, yeah, like modern day consumption and what of ourselves we give away okay. and the powers that force and shift and pull. But it's also such a, such a ballad. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So what I'm getting from this is I need to listen to more Hosea. Yeah, absolutely. And it dropped, um, Originally as a single, but now it's track three on an EP that came out June 23rd, so pretty recently. Oh. Mm. Highly, highly recommend you listen to it and just let the layers mm. um, sink in. The music video has also come out recently, and that added just even more ways for me to interpret it uh, in my head. Gosh, okay. So, one, so you need to, one you need to listen to a few times, it sounds like, to really... I mean, try Please stop at one, because honestly, I couldn't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, but... um. The themes of accessibility and layers and what you get out of art, I think, is very, very relevant to today's overarching episode topic. Yeah, let's let's talk about street art, Ella. Oh, street art, Isabel. <laughs> uh, so street art is, we both think, one of the most accessible forms of art. Absolutely. And this is how we define it at the Popsicule or the Science and Pop Culture and Entertainment Hub at ANU. Um, and our definition is street art is public art as it is displayed on public buildings, streets, trains and other publicly accessible spaces and urban environments. It draws on the viewers' knowledge, adds to it and questions it, which we love. We love. I think that's a very, very good understanding of street art. And it's one that as we were researching this, we kind of came to on our own and then to see it backed up by yeah. um, the other collaborators here at Popsicle is really, really sick. Yeah. So for science communication, I think we can consider it the antithesis of academic journals. Street art is the antithesis yes. of academic journals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that totally makes sense. Um, it's something that has potential for grassroots science communication or science related movements because of this accessibility and wide audience, which is everybody in a city or everyone in a public space. Anyone who walks by. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to live there. It could just be like you're visiting, which is a really, exactly. really cool part about it. Yeah. Very emotionally powerful and jargon free. <sighs> a science communicator's dream. <laughs> and I also think that many people can feel more connected to science in street art form because there is a focus on place 
So you already have a form of context. Yeah, exactly. Where you are, where the piece, where the art piece is matters um, and the type of street art is also important. So people can, I think in that way, people can connect more if there are science themes in it. Mm. And I just want to mention a book that we used when planning for this episode because it's going to come up a few times. <laughs> We've used this book so heavily. It's great. So it's called The World's Atlas of Street Art and Graffiti by Raphael Schachter. Um, and it's essentially a collection of street art from around the world. Not really any Australian examples, but that's fine. We have some Australian examples to talk about. <laughs> It's kind of like a, a coffee table read, but like yeah, a exactly. little bit more. That's so because there's for. so much art and because it's so colourful, you can really easily look through it. Mm. But then also if you want like a deeper mm. read through, the the words are all really great. And they're actually like a really concise uh, exploration yes. of the art, which is I think really hard to do. And this book does it really well. Completely. And it's also, I picked it up at a Lifeline book fair. So I got it for like $10. Amazing. <laughs> Great, great find in my opinion. So in this episode, there's sort of three major science themes of street art that we've come across that we're going to focus on today. What is the first one, Ella? The first one is mathematical themes. That's right. Cool kids love mathematics. You don't expect to see this in street art. Like I would never have expected this. Yeah, I was like a theme, a whole theme. No, like a whole thing. It's a thing. Yeah, and we've spoken about um, mathematics on the podcast before, particularly in our Everything Everywhere All at Once episode and also mm-hmm. our um, STEM girls in early 2000s media. Yeah. And we've kind of um, spoken about how maths is often stigmatised as something that is inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Like of, of the STEM acronym, mathematics is often the most hated. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found kind of, and we're going to explore a bit in this segment that when mathematics becomes street art or it's used for street art, it is for everyone mm-hmm. and it becomes so much more accessible. And I think like people register that it's mathematics and that doesn't set off like the negative part in their brain of that association or connotation yeah. to the word. They just enjoy it. Yeah, and, and we have some great examples of it that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, some really, really great ones. The first one um, was actually suggested by... Both of our colleagues. Oh, yeah. James. Hi, James. Hi, James. Thanks for <laughs> listening to the podcast. And for suggesting this one, um, this is known as an act of mathematical vandalism, <laughs> <laughs> which is honestly amazing. So there is this bridge that has a plaque on it because of this act of mathematical vandalism. And the plaque says... Here, as he walked by on the 16th of October, 1843, Sir William Rowan Hamilton, in a flash of genius, discovered the fundamental formula for quaternion multiplication, which is I squared equals J squared equals K squared equals IJK equals negative one, and cut it on a stone of this bridge. (laughs) So essentially, this mathematical dude was like, whoa, I need a way to describe three-dimensional problems in mechanics. Mm. Uh, And he apparently had this flash of genius (laughs) as he was (laughs) walking along this bridge. And 
he was so excited that he'd like solved this thing that was plaguing him that he carved it into the bridge. <laughs> That's cute. And then people were like, this is so sick. Let's put a plaque here and let's go visit this bridge <laughs> and let's remember that this is where it happened. Um, so Wait, so it wasn't his idea to put that there? He didn't put the plaque. He just carved like that formula I read oh, out. Oh, yeah. Onto the side of the bridge because, I don't know, maybe he was like, it will never, like, it will be here and I will come back for it (laughs) and it will exist or, I don't know, struck by inspiration. Mm. So the formula is like quaternions, like a way to extend complex numbers. So he kind of like takes a four-dimensional approach to solving three-dimensional things. Oh. From what I understand. Okay. I just think that's really sick that he was so excited and everyone else was like, this is pretty cool. Let's make it a thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is maybe one of the looser examples of street art we have because it is a, a mm. plaque, but I think it does really well fit into this niche we're describing because mm. of its public accessibility uh, and the urban environment in which it's displayed. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it is it is an act of art, I think, to carve something Yeah. and to put it on display for everyone. Yeah, and I think it's a good example of um, what I was saying about connection to place as well mm. connecting this a mathematical concept to place um or situating it in in a place that is familiar to everybody as well and then I think it helps you remember it as well like people who walk past this are now going to remember this equation yeah and now they have <laughs> like a positive association with yeah at least one mathematical formula which yeah. I'd say is you know more than a lot of people have <laughs> uh which oh. is really cool I think the other really cool thing about this is that this discovery doesn't exist behind a paywall it's not Mm. kept in the ivory tower he didn't discover this and then say nobody else can see it nobody else can use it I'm gonna publish this first that's a Um, really good point the gatekeeping and elitism isn't there Mm -hmm. and I think that's a super important part of why this is so cool totally so I want to talk about another maths example another one yeah so lucky (laughs) this one's from Madrid in Spain and it's called Lines And it's essentially a tennis court that's been turned into a complex matrix of non-symmetrical lines. So it has, it's a tennis court that has all of the normal ones you'd expect in a tennis court. All the normal tennis lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Plus a bunch of extra ones chaotically placed (laughs) across it. So it is done by a street artist called Spy, who is known for transforming everyday objects and sites like tennis courts, road signs, cars, to create a dialogue, love that word, in science communication, Mm. with viewers um, using irony and humour. And what he does is break rules to emphasise their illusory nature and to remind us that the world is incomplete and messy. And I think Lines is a fascinating example of how he's actually manipulated geometry or used maths mm. to show how the world is chaotic and messy, which is not usually associated with maths. Like I think people who aren't in the field of maths view it as like we're trying to create structure <laughs> and precision. Yeah, when really we're un- we're understanding the chaos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So his use of games, sport, play, geometry to show how wrapped up we are in the serious or right way to do things I love and it's it's lines is really a work that dramatically renegotiates space and rules for the delight and pure pleasure of 
invention. That is so, so cool. What a what a great theme to play with. I love the delight and pleasure and fascination mm. elements of this. I think that's really fun. And I think, again, goes back to the accessibility. Like if mm-hmm. you now associate lines or mathematics with uh, having fun or not taking the world too formally or seriously or yeah. in a way that's expected, you open your mind up to so much more. And mm. I think what a great thing for people to walk away from this mural or this work of street art or a picture of it. What a great thing to walk away from, like, thinking and feeling. Yeah, that's so sick. Mm. And I have another um, Spanish example. Ooh, yes, go ahead. So uh, another Spanish street artist from Barcelona Mm. who's created a mural that's actually called Barcelona. (laughs) That's essentially a rich and colourful mathematical map of Barcelona, his hometown. Mm -hmm. He says it's an example of what he terms, quote-unquote, circuits in his work and a self-named style of primitive futurism. Mm. Primitive futurism? What a phrase. Yeah. So um, primitive futurism he defines as a tribute to ancient cultures in search of the essential and it's a mixing of past and present to connect viewers with a deeper more holistic reality it's amazing why do I love it I love it feel like I understand it but I don't actually understand it yeah exactly that's how I feel about it too Mm. so the mural is made up of geometric and textual elements sort of with arrow like lines shapes numbers and letters in algebraic formations and equations. And he refers to it as a never-ending story of numbers, lines, crossings, and circles, which shows the both the beauty and chaos of maths through Barcelona's key streets and plazas. So again, it's using a place that is familiar to people to show mathematical concepts. I think is fascinating. That is super fascinating and really fun, like a really cool way to approach it. Mm. Here's another reason why I love this person. The mural also has hidden messages and symbols personal to him. So it contains dates where things happen to him or numbers which he thinks are magical, which is also creating meaning out of and personal connection to numbers and maths. And again, kind of going for that, like, layers of hidden exactly. meaning. Yeah. Overall, the mural is a vocabulary of symbols and numbers, shapes that act as a personal style um, of cuneiform writing, which is cuneiform is like wedge-shaped characters used in ancient writing symbols. It's not the ancient, not not like Egyptian hieroglyphs, but similar. Okay. So, so he's like creating his own style. Yeah. Language or pictorial alphabet. Yeah. And so this artwork had got me thinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering, and I, I would encourage everybody to sort of reflect on this, what would a mathematical mural of your hometown look like? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. That's a big question. It's a deep question, isn't it? Do you have thoughts about what yours would look like? No. No. I would like it to look like this one, though. <laughs> so start with um, uh, Six Arts work and 
think backwards or think forwards to your own hometown? Mm. That's a great question. Mm. I think it's a good way of getting to people of getting people to connect with maths as well. Think about maths in a different different way. Yeah, I think in the last few years I've really found myself wanting to connect with mathematics more mm. because I feel like yeah, again the stigma was just all around it mm-hmm. growing up and I refuse to let that dictate my preferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a great starting point. Thanks, Isabel. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so that's um, all we've got for maths, maths themed, which is still art. more than I ever thought we would have for science. You know, I'm sorry, maths themed street art. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, there's actually a lot more, but we have had to limit it. Yeah, we don't want this <laughs> recording to be eight hours long. So, so I think we should jump into another big theme in science street art, which is environmental and ecological themes yeah which I would consider one of the major if not the major element of science themed street art especially in Australia it's like the first thing that I think of Mm -hmm. I'd say yeah Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of paintings of murals of animals and environments and all of that and it's encouraging pro-environmentalism and what I would consider grassroots environmental science communication. Yeah, it's really interesting that this form of art that comes out of, you know, mainly urban environments, which mm-hmm. you could say yes. in some points is the antithesis to the environment, yeah. nature herself as, a, as she is, that we use these spaces to reflect and to talk about the environment and political actions about mm-hmm. it or, yeah, awareness or starting activist uh, grassroots mm-hmm. movements too. Lots of things about environmental fragility, biodiversity, uh, sustainability awareness. Uh, and one of my favourite sub-themes within this giant <laughs> theme, because this is this is huge, like, there's is. a lot to cover big. in it, is the disconnection of human society from nature. Yeah. And like what an interesting place to display this theme. In an urban environment. In an urban mm. environment. I want to talk about Intisni Kazki. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. Uh, it's spelled I-N-T-E-R-E-S-N-I space K-A-Z-K-I. <laughs> so correct us, please, if we said that wrong. Who's done a lot of works in a lot of different spaces. I'm going to talk about Pumo, which is in Italy, The Big Bang, which is in Poland, and The Game and Centripetal Force, which are both in Spain. Mm. And they're from about 2011, 2012, all of these murals. And they all kind of depict humans on some level interacting with or being a part of nature but in a way such that the disconnection is so on display mm. um, and so open. So the first one, the one in Italy, Pumo, depicts kind of like this man with a big uh, white beard and inside his chest opens up a theatre uh, where there is a kind of like a beautiful, grassy, sunny environment and people are happy inside of him. But this big man himself is on a pretty desolate ground, Mm. Uh, which is really interesting to think that nature can come within humans or that we hold it within ourselves because it's not as accessible as maybe we want it to be or as it once was. The Big Bang in Poland is a really, really interesting piece that I just want to look at for forever. It kind of depicts this 
man with a box and out of the box comes this uh, colourful cone on which a woman (laughs) is then coming out of and then a bird is coming out of what that woman is holding. And the man is surrounded by nature, but he's only interested in what's coming out of this kind of mechanical looking box, which is interesting because that's kind of the only person who's really interact or who's really like in nature and he's not interacting with it. Mm. Whereas the other ones are kind of people who have nature inside of them or around them and are trying to interact, but can't. The game in Spain is this beautiful street art of uh, a woman who again has a sunny grassy scene inside of her with a ladder leading up to her heart. And she's holding this rainbow cube that then looks like it's creating the universe Mm. but then that itself might be controlled by this hand who's pressing a button so Mm. yeah it looks like it's coming out both ways it's it's crazy like you could spend forever interpreting this i think it's trying to play on layers on layers yeah i think it's trying to play with the idea of mother nature yeah and her herself she's not in Mm mm-hmm kind of like a luscious, bountiful, mm-hmm. green environment. She's again in like this urban space. And the fourth one, uh, centripetal force in Spain, shows this businessman relaxing on grass that is surrounded by kind of like big business and like factories. And then everyone is just around him, mm. kind of playing a part in what he enjoys, but not being able to rest on or see the nature themselves. Mm. So there's lots of lots and lots of themes of humans um, resting on Western capitalist empty spaces. Yeah, this artist is a surrealist who kind of creates street art to reinstate spirituality into Western life whilst injecting material wealth, mm. or whilst sorry rejecting material wealth. So he's mm. saying, let's get a bit more spiritual, connect with nature. Mm-hmm. What are we really doing here with technology in the world we've created? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's honestly so, so much I could spend forever talking about these ones. <laughs> I love hearing you. I, listeners, I love hearing Ella deconstruct art because she is somebody who has an English degree and is very good at analyzing stuff like this. And I, I just love sitting here and listening oh, to it. <laughs> well. I could take apart other things for days and just looking into the symbolism of it. And I think some people do, and I'd love to be a person who can do that more often, and I'm excited mm. I get to share it with you all. Mm. Uh, I think street art is a really great place for that. Um, and it's interesting like how many of these themes you can really rest on and think about for ages, but also that you would just pick up from walking by it and glancing mm. at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of these yeah, parts of symbolism are so big, you're not going to ignore them. But then kind of like what you were saying with the uh, personal style of... Yeah. Uh, cuneiform mm. yeah the the visual symbolism and the layers that you can unpack you could look in like every single centimeter squared part of a street art installation yeah and pick it apart and apart and apart and learn more and more and more until it's kind of like your own expectations like your own interpretations mm. versus the artists and you'll never really know what is what because mm-hmm. most street art is, of, is also often anonymous mm-hmm which is is very, very interesting. Yeah. So that's one. (laughs) That's one artist. That's one artist. Mm. The first piece of street art I thought about with this uh, 
topic and within this theme uh, is generally colloquially known as politicians arguing about climate change. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Its formal name is Follow the Leaders. Uh, And this is kind of street art that's encouraging environmental action and developing our relationship with sustainability. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this particular piece exists in Berlin, Germany, is created by an artist called Isaac Cordell. And it is kind of a sculptural form of street art uh, that I didn't realise how miniature it was. Um, The scale is tiny. Mm, It looks big in the photos. It looks big in the photos, but it's actually really, really little. And it's a whole bunch of... Uh, kind of like male, businessman, politician, dressed people and forms. They're uh, old and white. They're old and white. And <laughs> some of them you can only see their heads. Some of them you can just see the, their shoulders. And they're all kind of sinking into this puddle. Yeah, so follow the leaders as the, the formal name, but a lot of people interpret it as politicians arguing about climate change as the water rises mm-hmm. around them. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. I love it. And this artist, Isaac Cordell, has a lot of... Yeah, things in this scale that play with similar themes. I love this tiny street art. I love how it plays with the environment and the puddle. Mm. Uh, The water and the reflection aspects of this are amazing. And the scale of like how such a small thing can make such a big impact, Mm -hmm. particularly in the topic of climate change, is Mm. so good. (laughs) Um, The artist is also part of this group, uh, an online group called Street Art Utopia and their kind of like second heading or their mission is that uh, they declare the world as their canvas um, and I really encourage you to go to their website and look at the what is street art webpage because they have some really interesting thoughts there that mm. we don't have time to explore because there's a lot of things we want to talk about. Yeah no this is what you were telling about just before we recorded right? Yeah mm. yeah it looks really really cool but I'm going to jump sideways into a bit of street art that Isabel and I actually saw together. We did, didn't we? Um, Over in the UK when we were in Bristol, which I think is amazing. Bristol is like street art capital. Yeah, we walked past quite a few Banksy's. You did Mm -hmm. the walking tour. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also Bumpsy, who is an artist that goes around and paints little Mr. Bumps in family-friendly places. <laughs> oh my my uncle told me about him. He's so, so cool. Um, but this one, I think, is a is a bit of street art that I think would also do very well in Australia. Mm. And essentially what it is is – okay, I'm going to read it to you. It's, mm-hmm. it's this yellow sign on the side of the port. It says in very, very big letters, a very dirty cocktail, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. This water harbors dangerous toxins. <laughs> and then un- it's got a little picture of a martini glass with kind of like a virus coming out of yeah, it. Yeah, like COVID-19 <laughs> vibes. It says ingesting river water can put you at risk of wheels disease. Cryptosporidosis. <laughs> e. coli, hepatitis A, hepatitis C, and botulism. Stunning. <laughs> I love that this is a safety sign, a health sign. It plays into the world of urban street art. You kind of look at it thinking it's going to be one thing, so you engage with it, and then that's when it hits you with the safety information while still having a very fun and humorous take, so it's memorable. This looks like something the government's done, because I can see in the bottom right they've got the little yeah, it w- symbols. It was made by, um, oh, I think, Bristol something BIP or BPI. Okay. Uh, so it's 
not the government, but it's like oh. an adjacent. Yeah, adjacent body. Yeah. I love that this hazard communication is mm. so effective. There's a few other ones about uh, don't drink and dive because people often <laughs> have a few and then yes. see the water and think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, one of them says, you can't see the bottom and you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really obsessed with this sign. I think it it could easily not be street art and the fact that they've chosen mm. to make this piece of hazard and health communication into street art mm. works both in their formal favour and in everyone else's enjoyment favour. Yeah. And they go together so well in a way yeah. that I don't think we focus on enough. Oh, it's also so Bristol. Like <laughs> everything about this is so Bristol. And I love it. It's amazing. It's so amazing. That, yeah, that might be my favourite thing just because we've we seen it and well, we, we saw it together too. and that was really nice. Second, second last thing in this category. Oh, are you sure this one's not your favourite? Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, if you've been with a podcast for a while, you know. You know that solar punk. You know, you know, <laughs> that, you know that solar punk is an obsession, a lifestyle, a dream, a utopia. Uh, we found um, within the book we mentioned at the start of this episode – uh, this uh, Mexican street artist, uh, De Gia, which is capital, all caps, D-H-E-A-R, who has done street art. That is solar punk. That is solar punk. <laughs> it's so, so exciting. My favourite one of these is called Leaving Things Behind. And I'll deconstruct the image a little bit for you. I know and I'm kind of sorry but not that this is an audio experience yeah uh when we're talking about a very very visual thing uh the irony is very real but it just means that you get to look it up and see it for yourselves too Mm -hmm. yeah so this this street art it's done on the side of a building that has windows which i also think is very interesting about like what surface you choose to do street art on Mm -hmm. uh and it kind of shows these really really tall and it's supposed to be they are supposed to look taller than life scale wise People who are red with question mark machines where their faces should be with question mark red dogs, other forms of, yeah, animals. Mm -hmm. And they are, it looks like they're leaving behind the the built world and walking into nature together. Yeah. And it fills my heart with such joy. The colours are all quite bright but also whimsical like bright but still muted in a way that makes you full of hope hopeful is a really good way of describing this piece actually yeah and it kind of I know it's called leaving things behind but I think mainly it's about leaving behind our ideology yeah I Um, think so that's how I interpret it I love it uh this artist has said that they are influenced by illustrators like Miyazaki Mm. um the Studio Ghibli mm-hmm. artist. Um, and this street artist said he discovered Miyazaki through his love of comics, science fiction movies, yeah. and Japanese animation. So we know that this artist is firmly rooted within sci-fi, which mm-hmm. is chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, this artist considers himself a natural fantasist, which mm. is amazing. And there's some other images or other works, sorry, of street art too that – yeah, kind of have people interacting with nature or not quite humans 
but humanoid beings interacting with nature and often in the background you can see either a utopia they're moving towards mm-hmm. or kind of like a built civilization normally frames the dystopia that they're leaving behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw somewhere online someone calling uh, Dia's work a thesis of post-civilization. Mm. Oh, It sounds kind of like a cyber feminism episode. It does. <laughs> Everything is interconnected. It is. And yeah. even though these episodes... We've well, wrote, you've only worked at cybernetics for a few weeks and we've already rewired your brain to think that way. <laughs> but I always think of this podcast, like even though each episode isn't... Even though each episode isn't directly connected, mm-hmm. um, the themes that we discover, we often come back to and we build on. Yeah. Solarpunk is one that we are building towards and get ready for mm. that because that is coming... Wink this year <laughs> and it's gonna be it's gonna be a doozy it's gonna be a big one it will be these mexican street art for me is something that i particularly connect with and i think it's because it's a culture that like mexican culture is a culture that i grew up with mm. um and i love this idea in mexican street art of using magical realism and folklore blending nature myth and fantasy to portray nature as this magical thing to spark a need for humans to protect it and I think doing it in a way that also uses anthropomorphism like in the examples you talked about to make nature seem more like us and Mm. not an other we are part of it not separate and so in that way I feel that that kind of street art is inviting us to go back to our roots and like leaving things behind and moving away from ideologies and yeah. all of that. I think the the sparking a need for humans to protect it mm-hmm. or care about it is, yeah, probably the strongest theme within this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And there's there's actually a quote in our street art book that talks about how Mexican street art constitutes their own laboratory where everything is allowed. Ooh, good which, quote. Which I love. Um, and I think that includes spaces for public cons- experimentation with science and visions of the future. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'd like to see a lot of street art head, or it already has headed, but it seems like the Mexican street art is like explicitly there totally. as much as possible, yeah. like all on that same page. Yeah. So I want to pivot to talking about some Australian artists. <gasps> yes. Because I have a few who I am now kind of obsessed with. Please tell all. <laughs> so the first one is Bohe, um, who's a Braidwood artist and is also currently a CPAS collaborator. Whoa. Mm, with with our good friend and colleague, Anna Sophie. Mm. Um, and so, so Anna Sophie has a few articles online about science and street art and she's got one with Bohe where they've they've interviewed her and this quote from one of the articles says her work is a gentle research inspired representation of the natural world inclusive with a sense of belonging but also challenging social constructs and gender stereotypes through her fascination and engagement with sciences including the science of emotions. Bohe communicates in a kind, non-judgmental way, which inspires reverence for and connection with animals and the environment around us. 
Which is almost pretty much spot on to kind of the, exactly. the where we had brought the themes to before. Exactly. Mm. So to give some examples, some of her murals are of humans embracing injured wildlife. Like there's one called In Our Hands, which is a bandaged kangaroo that someone's holding. Oh. Um, there's another one, which is Bird Nests on Fire um, from one called A Sense of Belonging. They sound deeply Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they very much are. And Bohi consults, actually consults with researchers and experts in the area she's interested in exploring in her art. Um, and so she says, once I have developed a strong concept, I refine my idea and then begin the process of acquiring mural artwork approval, which may include conferring with the original scientist or guest, in brackets, environmental scientist, indigenous consultant, historian, for example, to make sure that the artwork is both relevant and appropriate before painting. So many reasons to love her. So many reasons. And what a great <laughs> combination of art and science. That's so awesome. Yeah, and I want to end on um, this quote from her, which is essentially her take on the relationship between science and street art, coming from a street artist's perspective which she says that art is the feel to science's thought and creating moving images with science-based research behind them is an incredible tool for science communication. Both fields are inherently curious and seek to understand how and why things are. Learning about the environment, both from a Western science and First Nations perspective, is just as important to me as learning about being a human from psychologists and philosophers. That's incredible. So, mm-hmm. so incredible. Wow, Bohi. <laughs> so another Australian artist I want to talk about is Dan Power, who is Canberra-based. <gasps> Homegrown talent. Let's How great. Go. We've got a, not only Australia, but also Canberra. Mm. <laughs> so this is from another Anna Sophie article where she's interviewed and uh, this street artist and they've said that combining his university studies of biodiversity and extinction with highly technical art he critically reflects on the disconnection of human society to nature his works represent the vast scale of nature and create a space where environmental threats are understandable and relatable where people can interact with them without switching off so a lot of his work addresses themes like extinction, death, and invasive species. One example is called Flagship Species, which is a 2021 illustration of a koala skeleton clinging to a tree with various birds and plants in and around the skeleton or protected by the skeleton, um, which is inspired by the concept of an umbrella species. Um, And Dan Power says that large, charismatic and cute species tend to garner the most conservation dollars, but in protecting their habitats, entire ecosystems and communities are protected as well. So this feels like a a really like grassroots localised thing, but the impact it does is beyond like that one specific Mm -hmm. species or cause because some good often does a lot of good. Mm-hmm. so sick mm-hmm. and there are many that are similar to the koala skeleton one with a different 
different kinds of animals. But the next one is the one I'm most excited about, which is a combination of environmental and technological themes. It's called Electric Feels, and it's a 2022 mural in collaboration with another street artist called Rem, which, and it's essentially two skeletal figures with big old-fashioned computer monitor heads. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's also plants, green plants coming out of the screen. Oh, this one? Yes. Oh my, this one is so, so hype. Please go look it up. (laughs) Isabel showed me a picture and I was like, we have to talk about this. Yeah. So now, now you understand why I've brought it up. Yeah. So this one, this one is reflecting on our relationships with the natural environment versus the environment we've created for ourselves, which is the digital mm. environment. Powers says it evokes feelings of interacting with the world through digital facsimiles. This has gone from normal to a necessity during the COVID pandemic and has felt deeply unnatural. This feeling is held in contrast with a more organic nature that connects the two figures and asks how we can reconnect with each other and the environment around us. As the figures reach towards this connection with nature, they start to come back to life and flesh materialises on their bones. Humans have been shaped by the natural world for millions of years and it's a world that we're better adapted to than isolated apartments and digital spaces. Speak the truth. (laughs) And when we interact with the world through a computer screen, we are not doing what the human mammal brain is designed to do. So the idea is to move away from this strange digital paradigm and reconnect with nature. So in that way, it's also quite solar punk. Yeah, it is. I think it is quite, quite solar punk, this piece. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way that, I don't think unless you've thought about solar punk in the big mm-hmm. in the big thoughts, you'd come to the conclusion because it doesn't look like they're building a renewable society, which is normally what solar punk tends to lean towards. Mm-hmm. But it is like the start yes. of it, which is the hardest and most exciting bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And on that note, on that note, I think we should talk about the final theme. Yeah, um, and I think we're, we're almost there and I think, listeners, you can probably sense what it is. <laughs> um, we've kind of also found throughout researching for this episode that uh, normally when street art is political, the yeah. art itself is human-centric. Um, and when it's environmental, there is often the absence of the human mm-hmm. in the artwork. And now moving into our next theme, which is technology-related street art, mm-hmm. we see that uh, even in technology environmentalism, uh, often depicted is beyond the human, which is mm-hmm. post-human bodily depictions, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what you just described of um, Power's art. Yeah, And again, very heavily relates to our cyberfeminism episode. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about uh, pure technology for a bit. There's one artist that I'm really, really excited to talk about. Oh, yes. I love this person. And this is Invader, who has a lot of artworks in Paris, in the Netherlands, where I got to see some firsthand. A friend pointed them out to me as we were walking. And it was kind of like spontaneous discovery for me. But this artist is truly, truly global. 
and you'll you'll understand why as I explain that art. So uh, Invader on their website says that they identify as a UFA, which is an unidentified free artist. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. That's a play on UFO. Oh, I'm all about that. <laughs> um, and their artwork is normally made out of mosaic tiles arranged to resemble pop culture icons. Mm. So perfect for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally the icon is a Space Invader-esque image. Mm-hmm. Normally the aliens. Like pixelated, right? Yeah, all pixelated mm-hmm. in mosaic tiles. Uh, it's kind of a little bit 8-bit style, like the original arcade game Space Invaders, um, but sometimes characters from other video arcade games, such as Jumpman slash Mario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen some rockets. I've seen some other really exciting ones. Why... Has invaded the artist chosen these? They say that these are the perfect icons of our time. A time where digital technologies are the heartbeat of our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that it is their art is first of all about liberating art from its usual alienators mm. that museums or institutions can be. Mm. It is about freeing the space invaders from their video games, TV screens, and to bring them in our physical world. Never thought about it in that way, but that's that's so true. Taking them outside of their their own constraints. Yeah. Wait. Okay. I'm mind blown. About mind, that blown for a bit. mind blown. Mind <laughs> blown. Uh, the book we have describes them as a symbol of our era and the birth of modern technology. One of the ones that I found that's quite interesting. They're all slightly different, and the artist aims to do twenty to fifty pieces per city, and they kind of describe it as them placing this art or creating this art installations as uh scoring like it to themselves as a game yeah i love this so they get points based off like how hard the art is kind of to install so how big it is Mm -hmm. how high it is how weird of a location is how (laughs) prominent a location is um and if you if you you know then again if you are someone who knows about invader you then can play a game interacting with this artwork where you try and find them and score points too yeah, they're all beautiful. I found one recently that's kind of like this yellow and black one, so kind of like not traditional game arcade colours that has the Space Invader alien and then a CCTV <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, sign mosaic below it. And I think it's because the eyes of that Space Invader might actually be CCTV cameras poking out. Oh my! I can't oh, quite tell yeah, in the image, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. does look a little bit like it. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's an artist who does similar things in... He's actually a Western Superman, straight up. No way. Um, JPL is his name, where he he will use surrounding objects and integrate them into um, his murals. Well, that street art utopia place that I yeah. suggest everyone go check out, part of what they talk about when they are talking about what is street art is sometimes they define it as having to interact with the, the objects and the world that is around you, mm-hmm. which is so cool. And again, for... Invader, who is all about digital technologies and bringing them into our physical world to then interact with another digital technology in our world. Stunning. Mm -hmm. Incredible. (laughs) So excited about that artist. And the fact that it's global too, I think is really, really fun. And sometimes the artist will uh, quote unquote invade a city and put up art. And sometimes sometimes it gets taken down. Yeah. Um, And then sometimes, sometimes the art (laughs) reinvades. That's incredible. In a never-ending game. Incredible. So I want to talk about an example from Germany. 
um, a German artist in Berlin called Aaron Barthol who explores the terrain between digital and public art and blurs the boundaries between real and the virtual and brings the open source hacktivist ethic into physical public spaces like cities. He focuses a lot on questioning our engagement with media and social networks and online platforms and our digital dissemination strategies and addresses topics which are currently very socially relevant like surveillance, data privacy and our dependence on technology. So he has this one installation called Dead Drops, which is a flash drive. So sick. <laughs> a flash drive sticking out of a brick wall. <laughs> I remember when I first showed this to Ella and Ella was like, I hate it. Like, I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> it's playing with this concept of physically attaching ourselves to architecture and to place. Mm. And he says it explores the gesture of connecting a $2,000 laptop to a wall and not even knowing if you're going to get a virus or not. <laughs> that's why I hate it. The yeah, unknown I know element that's the really why. freaks me out. <laughs> and also the importance of people having local control of their data and comes, it all comes back to the public versus private debate. And this is why I love it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Barthol actually intended the drives to be used for anonymous peer-to-peer file sharing. So the device originally started with a readme text file explaining the project. So you can plug in your like laptop like or device. Like it's functional, which is crazy. Exactly. Mm. And later people started filling it with data, like their own files and things, which I think is it's fantastic, hilarious, terrifying. All like, I'm so time. curious to know, but I never want to find out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, and he also has this other piece called High Screen, also in Berlin, which is an old monitor and connected laptop dumped in the street. On his website, it's listed as a public intervention. I love the way artists describe that. Or not. It is <laughs> yeah. so interesting. Yeah, I love it too. Mm. Um, and in the book, in our street art book, it's described as an experiment that implements codes and processes of the digital world in the everyday sphere. So Barthol explains that he revived dumped CRT screen from the streets of Berlin to show internet art on them before they eventually go to electronic hell. What a <laughs> phrase before they eventually go to electronic hell. I feel like there's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah, I think really interesting that it's about uh, technology that has been dumped, like yeah. is, is being thrown out and then using their last moments before mm-hmm. they get scrapped or reused or recycled, hopefully, mm-hmm. to showcase art. Like yes. it's not absolutely it's not purely functional, quote unquote. It mm-hmm. is like a an act of art and beauty. Mm-hmm question mark to do this before they go to electronic hell Mm. um and also an interesting also an interesting commentary on on the environment as well which is what do we do with our technology when we're finished with it like where is all of where are all of these old fashioned computer monitors going where are we dumping it why aren't we thinking about it when we throw them out Mm -hmm. huge 
<laughs> huge thoughts. And again, like the layers on layers of interpretation that you can sit with, think about. Crazy. Which kind of brings us to this artist called Spock, uh, <laughs> S-P-O-K, from Madrid. And I just wanted to touch in particular on this one bit of street art from London uh, that was put up in 2008. It's called Nano's Portrait. And it is a piece of street art uh, that displays photorealistic technology that does oh. not yet exist. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I'm trying to figure out what I'm looking at. Which is which is the thing, <laughs> right? Because you see it first and first glimpse, you're like, oh, I know what that is. It kind of looks like a crazy laser space gun technology piece. Um, but then you look back at it because it's not real and your mind starts to like fill in blanks or ask mm. questions. Mm. Um, particularly questions I think about what does it exist? Why does it exist? Would it work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say it's a form of sci-fi photorealism. Mm. Really, really interesting, I think, to put questions about what technology can we make? Mm-hmm. Because we do get to decide. Mm-hmm. And street art as a public avenue for this discourse is so inherently interesting to me. Mm. But, but that is that is all I want to say on it. I think it's kind of one you need to look at and interpret yeah, yourself. I, I think, think that's so. the point of it. I'm looking at it now and I think I need to look at it for longer <laughs> before I can fully absorb. Highly recommend looking at these for longer. Mm. Yeah. And sort of leads into what I something else I wanted to touch on, which is a program founded by Lee Constable, who's prominent Woo-hoo! Australian science communicator and TV presenter. And CPAS alum. Yeah. So this program that she founded for the Brisbane Street Art Festival is visualising AI street art collab. And what it does is pairs Queensland's leading AI experts with up-and-coming street artists to create murals across Brisbane. Wow. How amazing. So amazing. Um, And on the website, it says, it recognises that for AI to be truly effective as a transformative technology intended to augment and extend human potential, it must be developed with everyone in the loop. And street art is a vehicle for this, for bringing people from different STEM and art backgrounds together. Yeah, because it really is about who is the everyone. Mm-hmm. Because I think we can say everyone and not not really then think too hard about who is inherently included, but who we have to work to include. And street art is so great for this because unlike art in galleries or private collections, the art aspect of this is so much more accessible. Uh, and the fact that you can take photos of it freely and share them around or send them to friends or post them online or that there are more, I think there's just like more information available on it because it's already free. So you don't have to ask mm-hmm. as many questions. Like it is, it is art designed to be shared yes. and to be viewed out by many, many people. Yeah. It really goes against this whole ivory tower model of information mm-hmm. sharing quote unquote because right. right. it's not really sharing for both science and art yeah which is kind of where we're trying to bring AI to mm-hmm. um, through Lee Constable's um, work and yeah street art I think there's this really really interesting concept about who has the power mm. and who gets to interpret it because with some of these like we've given interpretations but for most of these you are going to get the most out of them by looking at them yourself and thinking and reflecting and bringing your own Mm -hmm. context to them. 
but yeah, I guess also the context of street art is normally there is only place as the context. There's only the place that it's in and the yep. art that you're looking at. Yeah. Because there is no museum plaque. There is no artist opening night where they're going to come and give you a speech and tell you all about it. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like is. It's something you walk past. Yeah. And you make a decision on what you've seen within the first like five seconds. And if you're going to stop and look at it again. Yeah. If it's going to come back to you in a dream. And it's also... Street art is done in a way such that it then can't be privatised. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't take a bit of that building to to your house and display it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really, really, really interesting. Because it's who gets to own this art, who gets to own mm-hmm. this experience and these thoughts. So in a way, I think, I think science communication is kind of similar to street art because it, it mm. feels like the de-elitism of yeah. pure science and high art. So mm. high art being things in museums or galleries you have to pay for or in mm. private collections, which is just inaccessible to over 99.9% of people. Mm. And I think science communication is to science what street art is to art, but the two of them can be the same thing. Mm-hmm. And when they are the same thing, science communication and street art, that's really special. Oh, what a great thought, Ella. Oh, I'm so in love with this topic. <laughs> and on that note, I want to wrap up our main content section with this quote from Lee Constable, all about street art and science communication. One of the themes that emerges is breaking down stereotypes, but that goes both ways. Scientists might have an idea of what a street artist is like, and a street artist will have their own perceptions of what a scientist might be like. But when they meet and work together they often find both have their perceptions challenged and their understanding of each other's work expanded. The best communication is a two-way exchange rather than a one-directional broadcast, and I hope these collaborations are an example of that. (laughs) Enough said. Enough said, really. Wow. So, Isabel, I guess guess it's all wrapped up and that it's Mm -hmm. time for individual sections. Oh, yes. Okay, listeners... (laughs) I'm about to take this in a direction nobody was expecting. (laughs) Um, Isabel, I'd like you to explain yourself, please, because I've just looked at your notes and the first word is bathroom. (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. I'm actually really keen to talk about (laughs) bathroom graffiti or toilet graffiti or latrinalia. Stop it. As it's academically called. Stop it. It turns out latrinalia is an entire field of study where they study like bathroom graffiti. You are? <laughs> so I actually, I actually, there's a backstory here. I thought of this idea after seeing El Baroni article pop up on my like Facebook feed. Waroni is like the, the ANU student media. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who isn't from ANU. Yeah. So it's like our student media online article popped up for you yes so the article was on different bathroom graffiti across toilets in ANU libraries interesting um and there the author's thesis was basically that the most thought-provoking soul-searching and gut-wrenching art is found on bathroom walls (laughs) how's that for accessibility (laughs) well exactly exactly (laughs) so so this got me actually deeply thinking about bathrooms as a unique 
space for art and communication and also because of the gender segregation. Yeah, interesting. Plus everybody has to use the toilet, so. <laughs> oh, and, and this The, the bathroom well. equalises us all. <laughs> yes. And while using the toilet is, is private, it's mm. a private act, writing and well, drawing. So. Oh, my God. writing or drawing on the walls is a social act Mm. um and so i did some research and (laughs) your google search history is gonna be so wild (laughs) stumbled upon a conversation article about a research project on the difference in communication patterns in male versus female public bathrooms so, interestingly, graffiti in men's toilets tends to be more competitive. I'm not going to expand on that. <laughs> you can probably guess. <laughs> While in <laughs> the women's, it's more supportive. Okay. So, um, men's bathrooms have more graffiti portraying things like sexual acts homosexuality, politics, and insults, and it's usually more aggressive and negative and less tolerant of opposing views. Mm. But in women's restrooms, it's more focused on personal relationships, religion, and philosophy. So it gets deeply philosophical. There's such different directions. Exactly. It's overall, it's more positive, more supportive, cooperative, and open towards opposing points of view it's also more conversational with lots of thoughtful replies to the writings and requests for advice and the the conclusion was that women use the restroom walls to create solidarity and community which makes sense because restrooms are uh, to me restrooms are a social space for women this like I think makes a lot of people shook (laughs) Um, and I actually had a hilarious conversation with one of my male colleagues recently because in in our work building, we have a gender neutral bathroom, like yeah. all, all genders bathroom. And he like couldn't deal with the fact that I was having a conversation with somebody in the bathroom. What? But that is like, that's so normal. So that is a normal thing in like the spaces we in the bathrooms we use. Yeah, I think Ella. But to some men, they're sh- completely shook by it. It's just like what you do. <laughs> yeah. So I pondered more <laughs> and thought, is there science-themed bathroom graffiti? And is this a valid and underexplored avenue for science communication? If I had a hat, I'd eat it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can restrooms, everybody, be a safe space for science dialogue and open, open communication about science? like how many women use it and there's also that element of anonymity so it's less embarrassing those are some great questions (laughs) i don't have any answers to them i (laughs) would like to add to some pondering of yours though (laughs) with my own experience because i used to live uh in a college so a residentially on a new campus Mm. and we had gender neutral bathrooms Mm -hmm. and there was a stall like one bathroom store, there's like three of them in a row. And one of them, we I don't even know how to explain it. It was like a work of art and it was so weird. 
like you walk into the stall and you're facing the toilet and above the toilet is a postcard. I don't oh. remember what it was of. I think a lake, something to do with fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then close the door. On the back of the door is this empty milk container that just says MULK. <laughs> M-U-L-K in all caps and Sharpie. Like hanging on the door. And then to the side, there is a guest book with a pencil and a string where people didn't sign in. <laughs> and this was left oh. up for literal months because the cleaners wouldn't touch it. Oh, my God. And, like, they shouldn't have had to. But, like, what a weird experience, especially when you're, like, you're living in a college situation anyway. You kind of go to bed pretty late. Uh, I don't know what it would have been like for people who, like, walk in, mm. you know, after doing an exam or – after, you know, waking up early or in whatever environment you were in, every time I walked into that bathroom, mm. it felt like I was hallucinating in my own life. <laughs> and I just need everyone <laughs> to know this. It was so weird. <laughs> but I think about it constantly. <laughs> well, now I've probably added to you th- thinking about it more. How could it be more science-themed? Should I... <laughs> is it still there? Can I go back and leave a science-related fun fact? Mm. I don't know. Can I make it science-themed? Maybe we should start writing science facts in the stalls. They're going to know it's awesome. I don't want that. <laughs> if anyone's seen any science-themed bathroom it's graffiti, t- please DM us. Yeah. I'd love to know. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Anyway, Ella. Ella's going to talk about X-Men again. Why am I not the rogue one this time? <laughs> I'm so the rogue one this time. Get it, rogue, the X-Men character. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to talk about X-Men, mm. uh, as always. But I'm going to talk about X-Men, the street art graffiti and tagging crew. So I read this big old life story of someone, essentially. Uh, you can find it on uh, graffiti.org slash X-Men. And it's this person talking about how they found... Uh, their footing in life, how they found like their tagging name, like a like a crew all through the name and guise of X-Men. It started with like one person and then there was like five of them and they were like known as the X-Men. I guess like street art graffiti tagging crew. Uh, and they had their own tags and like things they'd put up publicly in urban spaces. And they created such a a cool movement and group of people that it grew to a crew of over 100 people and was there were like things happening weekly like art being put up weekly by them to the point that it became a subculture to the point that these x-men these are just these are just regular people who've decided to call themselves x-men to the point that their art was so well known and visible if you were in the air and if you knew mm what to look for, that their tags and stickers were actually featured in the background of comic books. Oh, no way. Yeah. So in the background of Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, unfortunately not the X-Men comics, but there was like X-Men graffiti based on the X-Men real life (laughs) crew, which is an incredible way for people and popular culture to interact with each other in an Mm -hmm. ongoing Mm. dialogue, even if not say anything meaningful, but I see you which is so meaningful and special. Um, And I just wanted to touch and kind of like end on this thought that popular culture and art 
and science fiction, which is what X-Men is, are all really, really great vessels for tying people together and creating community mm. and being part of something that we can all appreciate. And I think street art particularly as like this combination between science communication, art, popular culture is a really, really great indicator of visible community. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so that about wraps up this beautiful episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We have some questions for you, mm. which are, have you come across any science-themed street art where you live? We want to know about where you live, the place that you're at. You know the context mm-hmm. of it all, hopefully. What kind of topics come up and what would you like to see? Yeah, what street art would you like to see? Do you want mathematical bathroom <laughs> graffiti on a milk carton? Let us know. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Let us know on our socials at sci underscore burst on all your favourite social platforms. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you to ANU CPAS for their support and access to their podcast studio.